Folks, a very warm welcome to our latest Generation podcast, the podcast that talks about mission, uh, talks about the Bible, talks about church, talks about so many things. And uh, we are national and we are international. So my guest today is all the way from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Paul, can you introduce yourself? Yes, um, my name is Paul Caminiti. And um, I, I'm wondering if maybe I'm your first Italian guest ever. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Caminiti, when, when we think of Michigan, we think of Dutch. Don't say Dutch, you ain't much. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a minority, you know, here in uh, in Michigan, and uh, you know, every state has to have their token minorities. So uh, uh, we we uh, we serve that purpose, but um, I'm uh, I'm I'm a Bible guy, kind of through and through. I uh, I pastored for 15 years, and then through um, some interesting changes, uh, I think providential. Um, I ended up as the Bible publisher at Zondervan Publishing House. And uh, following that, I served for five years as the global vice president of Bible engagement for Biblica, formerly the International Bible Society. And uh, uh, just over five years ago now, I, along with three colleagues, uh, formed the Institute for Bible Reading. We uh, talk about ourselves as being an action-oriented think tank, uh, working to change the way the world reads the Bible. Fascinating. Let's, let's go back a few stations and talk with you for a little bit. Okay. Caminiti, Italian name, uh, you must, you're American. What other bits are in your DNA? Um, well... Uh, I'm, I'm only half Italian uh, because my grandmother, uh, my grandparents, both of them, uh, my mother's parents were McCrary's. Yeah. And so uh, I, I feel like I have, you know, a little luck and, uh, you know, on my side, you know, through through that part of the world. And I'm not sure what the Italian side uh, brings me. I'm I'm still in counseling trying to figure that out. Okay, so probably on one side you've got kind of mafia lineage and the other side you've got good Scottish Presbyterian Bible people. Do you think that could be the story? Uh, let's let's go with that line. I like that. <laughs> Great. Paul, is super. So you're a Bible guy. You, you've been involved in publishing a Bible, now spreading the reading of the Bible. Well, what was your experience, for example, maybe in, in the pastor? How did you find people's biblical literacy and Bible usage habits? Yeah, I, um, you know, I had I pastored congregations where I, I would describe people as being devout, and they, most of them, you know, this goes back uh, an era now, um, you know, did their daily quiet times and, uh, and their, their devotions. And I guess in my mind, uh, I always thought that if they came and listened to me preach, you know, four times a week, back in the day, we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, I taught an adult Sunday school class, Wednesday night prayer meeting was still basically preaching, and I thought if they listened enough to me and if they continued to do their devotions, then uh, then all would be well. 
But, you know, in time, I began to question some of that. I began to realize that for most people, um, the Bible was a bag of beads without a string. Um, they knew bits, they knew pieces, they knew, you know, verses. Uh, the average, uh, I think, Christian today knows about 13 verses, and that's their frame of reference. Um, and so, you know, as I, I, I began to say, it was like, you know, they were climbing trees within the forest, and they were nibbling on, you know, individual leaves, but nobody was taking a romp through the big majestic forest. Nobody knew the 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 epic story of the Bible. And I increasingly grew to see that as being a problem. And, and of course, the epic story of the Bible is, you know, the central hero is God and his son, Jesus Christ. The story of redemption, isn't it? The creation, the fall, the redemption. Uh, and there's a sense in which it's the basis of every movie, every book in the world, isn't it? Fall and redemption. And yet the big story is in, the Bible. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's true. And um, but but we've we've kind of been reductionists, if you will. Um, and you know, we see that a lot today. We see people saying, you know, I'm not sure that you know the Old Testament is that important. You know, maybe we can just unhinge that and all of the nastiness that goes on and the stuff that's hard to explain, and we'll just focus on on Jesus. Uh, and where I, I believe that Jesus is the key to the Bible, he's the interpretive key to the Bible, but there's a story leading up to Jesus. And it's a big story, and it's an epic story, and it's a story with with twists and turns and an amazing plot. You know, Israel, God chooses one man, builds a family from that, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, kings come and go, but they fail. And even the ultimate king, King David, who everybody expected, you know, he was going to bring the nation, you know, to its apex, but that doesn't work. Um, and so all of that, that story is important. And if, if we, you know, just reduce the Bible to, you know, the Romans road or three verses in Romans, Romans is a bigger book and a bigger plot <laughs> and yeah. more complex and nuanced than just, you know, uh, you know, three, three verses that talk about the sinful condition, et cetera. Yeah, we, we often, you know, talk about, there was a thing called a promise box years ago, Folk would pluck little verses out of a box, and people fridge magnet verses and all these things are absolutely fine. But as you say, the whole story, you know, um, and and we see Jesus in every part of the Bible. You know, Noah is the saviour of, of the world, points to Jesus, the greater saviour. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Uh, you know, through that which was impossible, uh, the impossible came. Jesus is the ultimate father. King David, the greatest of all the kings, and Jesus even greater than that. So it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Certainly in in the UK, a big change, Paul, has been changing from textual preaching. You know, where a minister would just take a text and preach. The practice these days is more preaching through whole books of the Bible. Is that something that you think has improved the situation? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm delighted to hear that. I'm not sure that um, 
here in the U.S. Uh, that that's the predominant way of teaching. I think there's still a whole lot more topical preaching uh, than than what you're experiencing there. So kudos to uh, to you for that. Um, I I oftentimes when I'm in churches and I visit lots of churches. You know, there's there's this lengthy introduction, 15 minutes or so, where, you know, my wife and I went to this movie last week and, uh, you know, and they go into the plot of it and show pictures up on the screen. And it, and it reminds me of the story of, and then we get about five minutes of the biblical story. Um, but it's all kind of fragmented and... <clears throat> um, and I think I think the church in America is uh, is is paying a price for that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there, there's a really well-known pastor here in Scotland called Eric Alexander, and I remember he was at a conference I was at in Glasgow, and he was talking to one of the local imams, the local Muslim leaders in the city, and the imam said a really interesting thing. He said, the problem with your holy men is that they do not know their holy book. And, you know, I think he's absolutely right that even pastors do not know the, the material. Again, is that amazing to you or are you not surprised? Um, you know, uh, in some ways, we're consistent with what we've done to the Bible. Um, we've fragmented the Bible. We, uh, we chopped it up and diced it into little bits, chapters and verses Things that uh, did not uh, appear in in the uh, the Bible's original text, and so the fact that we partake of the Bible in the way that we've arranged it, um, you know, really isn't shocking. And so uh, Philip Yancey, who is on our board of directors, I think you guys know Philip Yancey's name over there, but uh, he said to me one time, you know, Paul, the reality is is that the modern church created an entire culture around Bible McNuggets mm. and, uh, and assumed they were nutritious. Mm. And um, I think that, that he's, uh, he's spot on there. And, um, you know, I, I usually get a little chuckle from that, you know, if I'm speaking to a live audience. But if you think about it, that the modern church created an entire culture around McNuggets, um, that's a that's a very serious thing, and um, and so you know that's uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But that's a large part of our mission is restoring the Bible to its original form, so that people move from being uh, proverbial snackers to feasters of God's word. Okay. Let's move on a little bit here. I mean, we're talking about Christians that don't know the Bible well. I'm going to take it a stage, for, a stage further in the UK, like non-Christians have virtually no idea what is in the Bible. It reminds me a little bit of Acts chapter 8, you know, when Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading Isaiah 53. Do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, how can I? Unless someone explains it. Uh, I've just been introduced to this uh, Immerse, which is a great uh, Bible reading. It says here experience, which I think is a really good word. It's more than a program. So kind of, Paul, I'm interested in either a mission situation or with churches. Can you tell 
us a little bit what the immerse idea is. Yes, um, immerse, as you've just described it, is something of a revolution in in the Bible reading because uh, we we believe that we need more than a, a little tweak here and there. We actually think that the Bible uh, is in uh, in a bad way through no fault of its own. Some of what we've done to it, um, but so we, we've created a bit of a revolution, and it started with giving um, the Bible text what we might call an unmakeover. And so we've published this Bible called Immerse. It is a, it is a full Bible. Uh, everything that you uh, have in your big black Bible that says Holy Bible on it is in this Bible as well. But we did, we did some things, not to be clever. Um, that, that's never been our aim, but to really begin to engage people in scriptures in a deep way. So we published Immerse in six volumes, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll do uh, you know, a show and tell real quickly. Great. Beginnings, which is the Pentateuch, and then we did um, Kingdoms, known as you know, the former prophets. So this is Samuel um, through the kings. Uh, we produced the prophets. Um, in, in a better historical order. So, you know, currently the way the prophets are arranged are just the big ones and then the small ones. Um, and with really almost no thought to the fact that there were prophets that uh, wrote and spoke to Israel before the exile. There were other prophets that spoke to the people while they were in Babylon or Assyria. Um, and then there were there were prophets that wrote post you know exile, and so we we simply arranged the prophets in that better historical order. And then uh, the fourth volume is poets. So this is all the books that would be designed as song lyrics. You know, so Psalms, um, Song of Solomon, uh, etc. And then the wisdom literature. Is, is here as well. So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, um, and the likes. And then the fifth volume is Chronicles, which is the, the books that were written after the exile. So First uh, and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, which, which by the way, and I think uh, most of your readers and listeners probably already know this, but First, Second Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah were originally one book, and um, they simply wouldn't fit on a single scroll, and so they they were they found their way into the modern Bible as four separate books, and we've knit them back together. And then, last but not least, of course, is the Messiah, which is the New Testament. And you know, we uh, we we wrestled a little bit with that name. Some. Some people, you know, in the room as we were naming these said, you know, that might that be a little off-putting to some people? Does that sound too Jewish? And at the end of the day, we said, no, this is what the, the, the New Testament is. It is the culmination of Israel's story that ultimately leads to Jesus, the Savior of the world, the God of, of all creation, and of Jews and Gentiles and everyone will like. So that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's the, the Bible itself. And uh, I'll, I can say more about it, but, no, but that, that's that, kind of the introduction. 
Yeah, that's a great overview. And I want to affirm you in your use of the word Messiah because we live in an age where people are looking for a Messiah. You know, and in, in the U.S., you know, no matter what your politics, you know, the, the, they've got, there's a Messiah of the right and a Messiah of the left. We have exactly the same in the U.K., people looking for the guy or the girl on the great white horse coming to rescue them. And he's, he's already come. Uh, if only they would open their eyes. Yeah, amen, amen to that. You know, Paul and, and Jesus, you know, ministered in the debauched Roman culture, and they hardly ever talked about it. They were going to change. They were going to change the world, but it wasn't going to be through through yeah. politics. So, Paul, one of the ways you may want to use this is I'm thinking of you're maybe talking to a friend who's not a believer. What do you Christians believe anyway? So you take one of those volumes and you say, "Listen, why don't you read page?" you know, one to 100, <clears throat> we'll meet up in a couple of weeks and let, just let, tell me what, what you think about it. Is that a good, a good way? That, that is exactly the way we're positioning this. And David, we, we did, we, we actually made a very distinct pivot away from what we would call a Bible study model to a book club model. And actually, we think that that works beautifully, not just with, um, you know, an unchurched person that you would you would have, you know, join you. But it works wonderfully for for Christians to get together and do it this way. So um, our our approach is less prescriptive. We have four different questions that we invite people to answer. And so we invite them to read fairly large chunks in, in a week. Um, our, we have several reading programs, but our most uh, um, aggressive one, and frankly, our most popular one, is that people would read one of these major sections in an eight-week period. And so the reading plan is five days a week. And um, people have two grace days. And in an eight-week period, you will have read the entire, the entire New Testament. And we have an audio Bible that goes along with it. And if somebody listened to the audio Bible, it averages 29 minutes a day. So as I say to pastors who are getting ready to launch this in their churches, tell your congregation, look, this is a sitcom a day, five days a week. And in eight weeks, you will have read the entire New Testament or, you know, uh, the Pentateuch or one of the one of the major sections. So, um, yeah, sitcom a day. And, and what's what's wonderful and what we're really thrilled with is that um, people are ready to be slightly heroic. I think they know we're in trouble. I think they know that. Um, you know, little fluffy things that we might do in our church are just not sufficient to uh, to get us out of the morass that we uh, that we find ourselves in. So, anyhow, it is a book club model, and it does work wonderfully in the way that the way that you described. And, and the questions are open ended questions. You know, the first one is, um, you know, what did you read this week that was new to you? Or was there something surprising to you? And the, the genius of that is there's no wrong answer yeah. to that question. And so we're told again and again that people that came to Bible studies that, you know, were tighter than a clam, never said a word 
they'll answer that question. I read my 40 pages, and this stood out to me. This surprised me. Sometimes this bothered me. Um, and so it's it's bringing about a whole nother level of conversation, um, some genuine wrestling with the scriptures, um, which I think is, you know, what Jesus and in, in, uh, in the learning system of his day, they honored questions, and we're trying to to do that in, in Immerse. Yeah, because, you know, even in the Acts chapter 3, Philip, Ethiopian eunuch, the Philip asks one question, do you understand it? The eunuch asks three more questions back. Yeah. Jesus Jesus was constantly asking questions. Uh, and that, that way you find out what the person really thinks, not what you think they think, which is, is absolutely critical. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was the, the British uh, preacher, um, G. Campbell Morgan. You probably know that name yeah. in, in your neck of the woods. I, I've read a lot of, of the, um, the British and Scottish preachers of an era gone by, but he says that the actual question that Philip asks the Ethiopian eunuch is, is your reading doing you any good? Mm, that's a great question. I like that. And to your point, it took a it took a communal experience with the Bible for the eunuch to be able to to be able to grasp it. It's a, a beautiful picture of the fact that the Bible from its inception has always been a communal book, right? It was written yep. by communities of faith, two communities of faith. Um, you know, somebody brings a letter from Paul or John to a Roman villa somewhere. Probably the messenger that brings it reads it in its entirety to the group that's there, and then they begin to have conversations. And um, and you know the whole synagogue experience was built around a communal experience. And we we just saw some things recently. There are some digs that show that the early synagogues, many of them, not all of them, were actually built in the round with the idea that. This, you know, from what we can tell, this this encouraged people to read together and then to have conversations. You know, Paul, that, that's a fascinating idea because I wonder how we privatized Bible reading. You know, you spoke earlier on about the quiet time, which is legitimate as us in the Bible. And yet it seems to me that our world has pushed that communal thing out. And People today talk about communal reading as if it was a kind of a new, innovative, edgy, trendy thing. When it's just struck me, no, it's returning the Bible Bible reading into you know this interactive, natural place. So it's not trendy and edgy and novel. <laughs> it's actually the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we were going to be brutally honest, we would have to say that for people that read the Bible at all, it's become a solo sport, mm. not, not a team sport. And, uh, you know, the, the vision and we're seeing it happen, you know, before our very eyes is that um, let's say you and I were, were friends and we lived in a, a certain locale close to each other. And we had four or five other friends and maybe we're couples or whatever, but we would kind of covenant together. And we would say um, in the next two months, we're going to read the, we're going to read Messiah together. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
you know, we'll get on the same reading plan. And then we're simply going to get together once a week and we're going to talk um, about what we've read. Yeah. Um, what, what would that experience be like versus you're doing your own reading, I'm doing my own reading, and then basically it all kind of stops in my mind and in my heart, and it finds no expression beyond that. And again, that's just contrary to the whole systematic way in which the scriptures were delivered and and uh, the way Jesus used them and uh, the way the early church church used them. So we're due for a revolution. Sure. Uh, and it seems to me also that there is a danger of the Bible becoming too much of a holy book. Let, let me unpack that. Let me, again, contrast it. We, we may have some Muslim friends listening. I don't wish to be offensive, but they would agree that the Quran, it's elevated, it's high, it's, it's read. But folk are not encouraged to engage with it. You know, they just read it reverently. Whereas the Bible encourages engagement. You know, um, you know the Bereans search the scriptures daily to see if those things be so. So there's a sense in which, yes, we interrogate the Bible. But the irony is, in so doing, the Bible actually interrogates us and gets into our lives and our situation. So the Bible is... Really, not not to be left on a shelf and venerated is to be opened and 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 questioned in the best sense of that word. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know you introduced the word rustled. Um, you know, you go back to the story of of Jacob, um, who has that period where his life is kind of flashing before his eyes. He's going to meet Esau the next day, and there's that period overnight where he wrestles with uh, with uh, a being who is something other than human, uh, and then he finds out that at the end of that fight, uh, he's told, your, your name will no longer be Jacob, your name will be Israel, because you are someone who wrestled with God and won. And I think that that opens up, you know, for us, the fact that um, God wants the kind of relationship with us that could be described as, you know, we come together and this is serious. And we're, we're, if there's questions, we ask those questions. We're searchers. And in searching, you know, the promises that we will, uh, that we will find. But that's, that's again, you know, absent from from uh, from many churches it's just you know the sage from the stage delivers right. the goods and we you know hapless people sit in the pews and we take whatever whatever is said and you know there's not an involvement and one of our dreams and our visions is that there would be kind of this new partnership between the pulpit and the pew that the pastor is preaching from exactly where the people are reading where the groups are meeting and then they come together on Sundays or whenever they worship. And now we have a completely new dynamic, you know, that's, that's going on. And again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm happy to report we're past the, uh, you know, the beta phase of this. This is happening now in, in North America in thousands of churches and there's revival like things that are taking place. Wow. Okay, Paul, can you talk a little bit 
about the typesetting of the books. That, that may <laughs> seem a very that may seem a very dull and pedestrian question, but I think there's a real thinking and philosophy behind the typesetting. I, unpack that for us. Yeah, thank you for asking that. I was trying to figure out where I was going to wedge that in, and you uh, you've opened the door. But no, what uh, what we've done is we've simply tried to be consistent with um, and true to the Bible's original form. So. You know, without going into you know, great historical detail, you know, the Bible has a history. And um, the Bible in its original form was what we would call a clean text. Uh, but in the last 500 years or so, we've done some things with the text that have flown under the radar. In around the 12th century, Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, was the person who most historians say was responsible for bringing chapter breaks into the Bible. But the real massive change didn't happen until the 16th century when a French um, printer, scholar, classical scholar, Robert Estienne, um, decided that the Bible needed a concordance. And he knew that to do that, it would need a whole new set of markers. And so he almost single-handedly brought about um, verse numbers to the Bible. And it happened in a very short period of time. The story is really fascinating. He did a lot of it on horseback, um, where he was going from city city to city. I think he was a French Huguenot, um, and, and maybe somewhat on the run. Uh, but at any rate, um, this, this has transformed the Bible. You know, you can't mess with the form of something and expect that you're going to get the same result on the other end. And so, um, you know, we, we like to say, and, and, you know, I think at times we sound like we're, you know, going to war against chapters and verses. We think there's room for reference Bibles, but the reality is, is that the chapter and verse system is an artificial system. It is, um, in biological terms, it's an exoskeleton. It's a skeleton outside the body. Uh, and it, it has impacted the way we read. Um, it, it tells us read and then stop here at this chapter break. Um, which oftentimes is, you know, ends up meaning that people read, you know, a page a day. And uh, a professor friend of mine used to say to his students um, at the beginning of every semester, here's a system of reading, a methodology of reading that I, I promise you this will make the next book that you read the worst read of your life, whether it's a, you know, a biography or a fiction, but here it is, you know, read a page a day, read a page a day of anything, and pretty soon you'll be bored with it. And you'll put it down. And, you know, <laughs> that's what I coached people to do when I was a pastor. Read a chapter, read a chapter a day. And so we're really, you know, and, and again, the verse and number system invite people to do that. So I, you know, I what I can't do on the podcast is it's help people how that experience reading without chapters and verses is going to impact their reading in a positive way. But we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people now that are reading Bibles. And here, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. You know, it looks um, 
something more like this, right? Um, Yeah. Sans chapters and verses. So this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And guess what? It looks like a letter. Yeah. Um, there, there's no there's no section breaks. Those are all man-made as well. And oftentimes they're like spoiler alerts, you know. You know, somebody that's never read the story of David, they're reading their modern Bible and it says David kills Goliath, you know. You know, the momentum is building, you know. Thanks. Uh, you know, we, we never got to the punchline. Uh so anyhow, I'm going on and on here, but you're finding finding is that this new format, Hebrew poetry looks like Hebrew poetry. Song lyrics look like look like song song lyrics. The individual proverbs look like like the the individual somewhat sound bites that they are. And so what we're hearing again from across uh, all all segments, younger people and older people is that I, I'm sitting down and I'm reading and oh, I read past my stopping point. I just got enthralled um, in the story. So this this is an encouraging, big reading. And um, just just one other quick thing I'll mention because you're asking about what we did with the format. We we did a lot of work to find natural literary breaks. You know, getting rid of chapters and verses was a keystroke. Uh, But there are these natural literary breaks that early listeners of the Bible, we think, would have picked up. So, you know, Matthew doesn't have 28 chapters. Matthew has five major teachings of Jesus. And each of them end with some variation of the statement after Jesus had said these things. And so I think early listeners probably understood that Jesus was saying five teachings. Um, hmm. That probably corresponds to the five first books of the Bible. And Jesus was positioning himself as the new Moses. So you would see those kinds of literary divisions in uh, in the immersed Bible. Yeah. And that sounds great. I mean, I would encourage folk to look up Immerse. We'll put details on the program notes uh, where you'll be able to access it in the UK. And, you know, I'm encouraging churches to use it. I'm encouraging individuals to get hold of it. <clears throat> You're saying that in the US it's been successful and it's re- led to real revivals, a word that is, that's a big word, but it's used to awakening a real spiritual interest in people. Have you heard any stories of, of definite stuff that's happening out there mm. in, in churches? Mm. Where do you start? Yeah, where do I start? Um, you know, there, there are stories that are coming from churches where there are visionary pastors that are saying, we're going to do this as a whole church. And we're not going to fail. We're going to we're going to do what Ezra did, right? Where Ezra and Nehemiah, um, when the people came to them, which is always kind of fascinating to me. This wasn't something that was top down. It was the people that came to Ezra and Nehemiah and said, "Bring out the book of the law." Um, but then what they did is they built the infrastructure for this for this to be successful. And I, I think it's one of the real pivot points for the Bible. Um, it, it's where the Bible really took hold in Israel's Israel's life. Um, so, um, yeah, whole churches are doing this. And when I say revival-like experiences, um, 
you know, we're, we're being told that baptisms are increasing, uh, small group participation is increasing uh, without any capital campaigns, giving is increasing. Um, w- churches are telling us that it's very natural then to invite their unchurched um, neighbors to come to not a Bible study, but a book club. And, you know, this doesn't look terribly intimidating. Um, and when you open it up, you're not left, you know, having to know the code. You know, we've yeah. learned that. People say, I went to your Bible study and, you know, I was like on Mars, you, you know, you know, first John 1 9. What what what's that? But if somebody says, Hey, I read something on page 298 in the second paragraph, now we're now we're literally on the same yeah. page. Um, and so I have, you know, I I heard from a pastor recently that said we did that. We invited our neighbors to come. He says, I have a stack of letters on my desk saying, hey, thank you for doing this in our neighborhood. When are we going to do another one? These are people that uh, that don't go that don't go to church. And then, you know, there are just amazing stories of individual lives, you know, that are transformed. I got a, a, a we interviewed recently a pastor who said, I, I've had kind of a dark secret in my life uh, for for all of my years of ministry. I don't really care for reading the Bible. You know, I, I, I preach it. I, you know, I'm studying it. But in terms of just sitting down and reading the Bible, uh, and, and this has just absolutely, I've fallen in love with the Bible. Uh, for the first time, I had a, we had a, we have prisoners that are doing this. This is happening in in prisons where, and I got invited to a prison to meet with the thirty small group uh, leaders of a church of three hundred men in prison. And this one gentleman who clearly was brilliant um, said, "You know, I've been a Christian for years and I read the Bible all the time." But he said, "You know, here in prison, um, everything we do is regulated." the time we get up, the time we eat our meals. And he says, it dawned on me when I was reading Immerse that we've kind of done that, that chapters and verses have regulated the Bible. And now it feels like the Bible has been set free. So, Great. I mean, I think another important thing is that many people think that the Bible is a really complicated, difficult book, and you need a preacher to unlock the Bible. It's so mysterious, it's so hidden that you need this priestly caste to unlock it and really explain it. Whereas the Bible is a people's book. It is clear and often we complicate it. Sure, there's difficult elements in it. Sure, we need to ask someone who, I mean, the the Bible, the scriptures say there are pastors and teachers. That's what they're for. But in a sense, they are there to make that which is obvious, obvious, not to make that which is really deliberately obscure. So it seems to me that uh, Immerse brings out the simplicity of the biblical message. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, you know, I think we would encourage everybody uh, to um, better acquaint themselves with the world of the Bible wherever wherever you can um and there's all kinds of you know television documentaries and so forth of of what happened in the roman world and the the greek world before that there's 
movies. We should we should do all of that. But if somebody wants to have a contextual experience with the Bible, there's no better way to do that than to read the Bible itself. So in Messiah, for example, our Messiah begins, and again, we've we've done some reordering of the books with Luke and Acts. Uh, volume one, volume two of Luke's historic treatise. When you've read Luke and Acts, about 25% of the New Testament, all the way through, you now have a framework for everything that happens in the first century. And now reading Paul's letters, which again, we put in a better, better historic order and others, um, just seems to come alive for people. Paul, thank you so much for coming to the end of our time. Uh, is Immerse, the website is immersebible.com. Uh, it itself is a wonderful resource. I would really encourage Christian churches to get onto this and use it. Um, Paul, thank you for speaking to us all the way from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, to, to, uh, it's a lovely, it doesn't look lovely in summary in my room here, but, <laughs> but outside the sun is shining, it is beautiful. I, I said to you before you pushed the record button, I'm still waiting for an invitation uh, to, to come to Scotland and um, to, to meet with pastors and churches and people. But no, thank you. And um, uh, thank you to, uh, you know, I think Premier Media is Premier the organi Media, yeah. organization that has just caught the vision for this. We could obviously never be doing this um, without them. And, uh, you know, we're thrilled to be able to interact with you. Just one other web address, um, instituteforbiblereading.org. That's a .org address, Institute for Bible Reading. We have all kinds of interesting resources that go along with that. We have videos that uh, go along with kind of like trailers for the introduction of every week's every week's uh, reading. And so there's a, there's a wealth of material there. And uh, so bless you. And uh, thank, thanks again. Thank this has been a delight. Yeah, the only warning is if you go into the Institute for Bible Reading website, you will be locked into that for hours because you're just <laughs> clicking from one thing to the other, and, yeah. you know, uh, by the time. But immerse, I mean, even devoting half an hour a day to reading the Bible, how, how long do we spend in social media these days, trawling Facebook and Twitter and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and you know the the Bible is is an amazingly to your point. We 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 need to disabuse our minds of the fact that the Bible is this impossible book. And I'm gonna, I'll end with this, but I love this story. And it just I just it came out recently through a survey. People were asked how long they thought it would take to listen to the entire Bible. So if you listen to the audio, and the average layperson thought over a thousand hours. Mm -hmm. well, the average pastor thought, you know, 400 to 500 hours. Well, it takes 80 hours wow. to listen through, you know, the entire Bible. So, yeah. you know, well, we mean, can make I, all kinds of comparisons. Uh, I'm you know, sure I, I, I drive 80 hours at least a year. So yeah. Listening to yeah. It, yeah. yeah. From your neck of the woods, Harry Potter is 20% longer, you know, than wow. the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> And the Bible's true. Yes. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much. Um, generation listeners and viewers, thank you. I'm David Meredith. I've been your host today. It's been great to have you. Uh, please 
keep listening. Tell your friends about Generation Podcasts. Uh, whether you're in the car, whether you're at home, great to hear you. I mean, interesting people uh, like, like, like Paul uh, here and, and so many others. We'll see you again next week. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you.